Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? The audience wants to see action, adventure, wrestling, and plenty of it. Big men in tights, you know the drill. Rammer Slammer. Welcome to Rammer Slammer. I am Ben Flanagan, and I'm glad you're joining us here for more pro wrestling talk in the Deep South. It's time to recap Payback, the first pay-per-view since WrestleMania 32. It aired last Sunday on the WWE Network and pay-per-view. It was, I think, a good show. And the professor, Will Nevin, will join me to recap the show and talk about a few other things, including some breaking news coming from the WWE. They've released a couple of members of their roster, too, that you haven't heard from in a while and, and likely weren't really thinking about. Nonetheless, it's news and worth sharing and worth discussing, particularly one of them. I'm also joined by Ben Stark, and we talk a little bit more about Roman Reigns. As he puts it, this show has Reigns on the brain. And he's making a crack there, but it's true. You know, not to dwell too much on the Roman Reigns situation. I just find it fascinating, to be honest with you. I don't think we've seen anything like it in WWE history. Sure, fans have rejected wrestlers before, but I I don't think we've seen anything quite like this. Just the, the... mass revolt, especially among the smarky fans out there, people who think they can drive him away the louder that they boo, and they're booing very loudly. But quite honestly, I think with this pay-per-view and pretty much everything that's happened since WrestleMania 32, since they had the big moment there where they crowned him champion and we entered this era of Roman Reigns as the face of WWE, I honestly think that he's turned a bit of a corner and we've seen some improvement from him as an in-ring performer especially and it helps when he's matched up against somebody like AJ Styles but I think they've done some great storytelling as we've talked about on the show in recent weeks and it's all made Roman Reigns actually look pretty good and if he keeps on this path I think we're going to see those same fans turn in a way that I don't think they expected themselves to do, but it seems like they've taken, even if it's a small step, it's a step towards making him look better and perhaps letting people embrace them in a way that they did not want to initially. But first, let's recap Payback, my talk here with the professor, Will Nevin. Enjoy. This is Ben Flanagan with Rammer Slammer, and I am joined by the professor, Will Nevin. Dr. Nevin, how's it going? It is going well. How are you, Mr. Flanagan? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day down here in Alabama, and it's the end of the week, and, and we're a few days removed from the latest WWE payback. The, or I'm sorry, the latest WWE pay-per-view payback, the first pay-per-view since WrestleMania 32, and, and we'll get to recapping that. But we want to start with some, as you put it, breaking news out of WWE. There have been some releases from the company that are earth-shattering, to say the least. And I'm going to let you take the reins here and, and drop these bombs on the Rammer Slammer listeners. Well, as of right now, we have two longtime WWE talents that have been, uh, so to say, future-endeavored. Uh, the first was almost, and, the, you know, if you think about this, it, it's you know not that surprising, an almost 10-year veteran of the company, Hornswoggle. And then the the second name to drop was uh, Alex Riley. You know, both of these guys haven't seen much TV time lately. 
I know Hornswoggle at least has had his run-ins with the wellness policy. Riley had that interesting turn in NXT as a commentator, and then he was one of Kevin Owens' uh, first feuds down there, but then Riley got injured and sidetracked and hasn't really been heard from since. Um, And the big picture of things, you know, these guys are ones that you can lose, but uh, it's interesting to sit and think back on their their tenures, uh, Hornswoggle especially, uh, as, uh, you know, the former... Uh, son of McMahon and former anonymous GM and uh, all the weird things he's done over the years, but um, we're probably better for not having a, a you know a Hornswoggle segment looming in the future. I don't think I ever uh, you know was watching Raw and thinking, oh, you know, I'm really glad Hornswoggle was there. He made that segment a lot better, given McMahon's penchant for you know dumb comedy and you know the little person jokes and. It's just maybe it's better for all of us that uh, that Hornswoggle is, has been future endeavored. Uh, Riley, I don't know. I, he's probably got some kind of second act in wrestling. Um, I thought if his newest NXT character, this Alex Riley Rage, had some direction, it could have been interesting. But I don't know. Uh, he was probably a little low on the the talking ability as far as. Uh, everything else is concerned. Yeah, you know, I'm guessing, focusing on Hornswoggle here just for a moment, the the term midget wrestling is one that I'm guessing the industry has tried to distance itself from for what I hope has been several years now because, I mean, that, that, and we've talked about the sort of sideshow element to in in the, the, the traveling circus perception that people have of professional wrestling and WWE specifically, because this, this is an aspect of the business that they engaged in for, for many years. I mean, I went back and watched WrestleMania three leading up to 32 and and there is a little person match. It's a mixed tag team match where uh, I can't remember. I know King Kong Bundy might be on one team and maybe it's Hillbilly Jim. And then, they each have, uh, you know, two tag team partners on their team, and that was, you know, in the old days. And there are culturally insensitive themes attached to the the little per- persons wrestling in the match, and you know, for for that to have lasted all the way up until you know 2016, when you know Hornswoggle hasn't been a part of the business since September 2015, when they announced the suspension for violating the wellness policy. He he hasn't been a part or hasn't, at least hasn't made any appearances with WWE since then. But there is El Torito, who is still sort of, I, I guess, El Torito, who is the, the oh, God, you know, I, I don't want to, manager, I guess, the uh, uh, you know, accomplice. But I, you sidekick? Know, the, uh, yeah, sidekick, mascot? sure. I, I didn't want to say mascot, Nevin, and I, I, I think that's <laughs> what most people would consider him. But El Torito, at this point, at least on this level, is sort of the, the – the last representation of that bygone era of again quote unquote midget wrestling it's it's not a good term and and I'm glad it's been retired at least in in the mainstream portion of professional wrestling and that that's not to say that these 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 men and women who are professional wrestlers should not have opportunities they absolutely should but not in an exploitative way you know in in the Agreed. way that the business treated them for so many years 
and and Hornswoggle is a good example of that. He, you know, it, to some extent was organically involved in some of the, you know, the storylines and, and the narratives, and he played some large roles, but it was just never not apparent that he was a punchline pretty much at all times. And, I mean, he wore leprechaun costumes, for crying out loud. And, and you know, he contributed to the business. He entertained a lot of people. So I'm sure that there are fans out there who will miss him. It's just it, it's just weird to look back on that part of wrestling and not feel a little icky because, again, these men and women who are contributing, who are entertainers, who are talented in the ring, they're, they're there, I think, for the wrong reasons more than anything. And I really think it's one guy that still finds this stuff funny, and that's Vince McMahon. And it's like the one guy's, yeah, his opinion is his, the one that matters. Um, it wasn't that long ago that we had that cringeworthy WLC match. Was that what it was? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, where they're like, oh, hey, you know, we have all the little people wrestlers, and we have little people commentators, and, you know, we have little ladders. And, I mean, I, I want to say that was like the – was it the pre-show for like TLC like last year um, or the year before? I mean, it, this is not ancient WWE history, uh, and I just remember sitting through that and just like I, I was, I was Picard face palming the entire time. It was so just painful to watch. Uh, but yeah, you're right that these people, you know, need jobs. They're perfectly gifted entertainers, but. They have just been used in all of the wrong ways for all of wrestling history, pretty much. Yeah, and and I'm sure that there are wrestlers who who have again participated in that aspect of WWE's history and professional wrestling history who have sort of discussed the history of little people wrestling. And I, I I'd like to make an effort to sort of hear their perspective on on the business itself, how they have been used over the years and, and, you know, what they think of, if if they think of it as exploitation or if they think of it more so as just having a job and going out there and entertaining and it being uh, just part of the business and the reality of WWE. So we'll have to, we'll have to hear, you know, we'll have to look up on YouTube those Hornswoggle shoot videos that, that are certainly <laughs> coming down the pipe. So Sad, sad to hear that they've released some folks, but like you said, I doubt if this will make many waves. In fact, I, you know, I didn't even I didn't know about it until you brought it up, you know, before we started recording. Yeah, I know it, it just happened, um, and and this is probably the last thing we can say about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm digging through Twitter. I did like a quick hornswoggle uh, hornswoggle search. His official account came up as of two hours ago. He was posting about how he was excited he was coming up on ten years in the company. And then, presumably, not too long after that, he gets notified that he's released. So it's a real personal bummer. Um, and I think that's something we can all agree on. Hey, this is Ben again. So Will Nevin and I just talked about some of the WWE wrestlers who were released today. That being Friday, May 6th. We talk about Hornswoggle. We talk about Alex Riley. I mentioned that they're not really guys that you've seen much of lately or even thought of. But I also got word just now, after we recorded, that Damian Sandow is one of the guys that the WWE released. And while we haven't really seen much of Damian Sandow, and he spent the majority of his time in recent weeks jobbing to, to people like Baron Corbin and other rising superstars, what a shame that 
Damian Sandow's potential wasn't realized in the way that it really should have been and could have been in WWE. He's different. He He's not what you would call the traditional looking or sounding WWE wrestler, but he, to me, was an amazing performer. Whenever they gave him time in the ring, on the mic, I thought he was both good as a wrestler, and I thought he was amazing as a, a, a comedic presence in the WWE, sort of a rare one up there with Kevin Owens and, and the New Day, somebody who had just immense talent and was really a, a secret weapon of WWE. He's actually a big reason that I, I got back into it because I went and covered Raw a couple of years ago in Birmingham, Alabama, and he had a terrific segment with the big show where he comes out there and he's wearing the robe and the towel and he's complaining to fans that he's not getting the push that he deserves and and he is revolting, you know, with the company and he's being a smug, arrogant punk. And Big Show comes out there, he gets in his face, and he ends up knocking out Damian Sandow. It's just a fantastic segment, and, and just great work by both guys, but particularly Sandow. I thought he was hilarious, and I couldn't wait to see what all he would do from that moment on. And, and unfortunately, it was not much, and he got buried. And you know, he had the run with The Miz and Miz Dow that I think a lot of people loved, and it didn't really lead to where I think a lot of people wanted it to go, but it was fun while it lasted, and Sadly, that's what we're going to have to say about Damian Sandow's run in WWE. It was fun while it lasted. When they gave him opportunities, he took great advantage. And I'm just sad to hear that he's part of this list. And, and the roster is definitely crowded, and they've got a lot of talent, and they, they only have so much TV time. Actually, they have three hours every Monday night and two hours on SmackDown on Thursday nights. So they actually have a lot of TV time that they can divvy up. And, and this is a guy, I think, who could really elevate segments. And, and I look forward to seeing him him you know maybe going somewhere else and, and bringing something really fresh to the table. But that's something I think he brought, something fresh. And I'm spending maybe too much time here eulogizing Damian Sandow's career. But I just want to emphasize that this guy was underrated. And he was underutilized in this company, and it's a shame he's no longer a part of it. And as a fan of his, I wish him luck. All right, moving on to Payback 2016. This aired on Sunday night. Going into it, you may have heard on Rammer Slammer, the last episode where we previewed this pay-per-view, Ben Stark and I suggested that just based on the card itself, the list of matches and wrestlers that were participating, the card itself, was more appealing than WrestleMania 32's card. And and I still kind of believe that. There are just a lot of fun grudge matches. There's a, a there are meaningful title matches. There uh, there was a fun tag team match until it, you know, obviously did not stay fun. Uh, and and we'll get into that for, you know, in a minute, but I just I just thought it looked like a, a really exciting night of pro wrestling and I personally think it turned out to be that. Before we get into specific matches, do you think that this card itself overall delivered in-ring more so than WrestleMania 32 did? It's interesting that you focus on the in-ring aspect, and I will say that, yes, hands down, this is probably a better show than WrestleMania, if only because it's not, you know, half an eternity long. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tight show. All of the matches more or less makes, you know, makes sense. None of it seemed to be filler. I mean, you can certainly quibble with some individual booking decisions. And by God, there's some real stinkers, um, you know, the women's match specifically. But 
yeah, overall, I thought it was a good show. My only kind of uh, macro criticism is that it does more, I think, to set up extreme rules than to really kind of pay anything off. So from that standpoint, it's it's a little something of a disappointment because it just seems like everything is just continuing. There's nothing, you know, finishing. But, yeah, there's a lot of things to like on this show. I, I, I agree with you. So let's get into the matches themselves. The main event will start with, obviously, it was interesting to me that they picked AJ Styles so early into his tenure as a WWE wrestler to, to be the number one contender here. And obviously, sadly, injuries are on his side, right, with guys out. That gives him an opportunity, and he's certainly made the most of it. Something that Ben Stark and I discuss on this episode, we go back to the Roman Reigns situation and, and whether or not he'll ever connect with fans and, and be accepted. And I, I think that long-term, you know, it's still possible, but right now it's just it's more than an uphill battle. I personally think he turned a corner recently, and this match helped. And one thing I think is, is going to continue to help Roman Reigns is forget all the mic stuff, forget all of the intangibles. If the guy puts on great matches against people like AJ Styles and other great workers in the business – that's going to go a longer way than maybe anything else. Do you think AJ Styles helped Roman Reigns turn a corner with this main event? I have a lot of thoughts here, uh, which is good because, you know, we're recording my thoughts and your thoughts for a show we do. I like this match. Uh, I didn't like sort of the overbooking kind of aspect, you know, the Shane and Stephanie business. Uh, but I thought it was a good match. Uh, I thought it was entertaining. I thought the near falls were good. I thought they told a believable story in the ring. Now, any match that ends with any pretense of Roman Reigns being a babyface and leaving with the WWE World Heavyweight Championship is not a finish I'm going to like. Uh, but I, I thought the match told a good story. Now, whether... Uh, AJ Styles helped Roman Reigns. I don't know. I I'm kind of a, of the opinion that Roman Reigns is beyond helping right now. Just because, I mean, the crowds, if they're not booing, they just they don't seem to care about Reigns. And you know, the match was good, but you know, Reigns has had good matches in the past. He had a good match with. Uh, Daniel Bryan. He had a good match with, you know, at WrestleMania with Lesnar and uh, Seth Rollins. But if you look back on these, again, what did it do for Reigns? And what kind of an accomplishment is it to say, yeah, I had a good match with Daniel Bryan. I mean, these are the kinds of matches you should be able to have with these types of people. You go back to his WrestleMania match, uh, against Triple H, and that's not one I think you can point to and say that that was a good match. So, as always, I think I I tend to give more credit to his opponents than to Reigns himself. Um, but um, all of that negativity aside, focusing on the power of positivity, I I did like that match. That was that was some spectacle, and uh, some of the bumps were great. The forearm through the table was an especially nice spot. So start to finish, imminently watchable, 
solid A main event outside of the outside of the restarts. Totally agree. And, and honestly, I think Roman Reigns is helping Roman Reigns right now. If if AJ Styles and, and some of these other guys also are, I think he's a good in ring performer, and I think he's getting better at telling stories in the ring. And this this may have been his you know, I don't want to say best match so far because I've only seen it the one time, but I was really impressed. And I see a lot of improvement from him. And if he keeps doing this and, and he keeps just proving it physically more than anything else and, and he he gets the best out of himself and gets the best out of others, people are going to start accepting Roman Reigns. I really do think that. And and if he puts on a great match, it's kind of like the Cena thing, right, where you have people screaming Cena sucks and, and insisting that they hate him. But by the end of most of his matches, those same people are cheering, this is awesome. You know, and Roman Reigns certainly hasn't reached that level yet. But again, he put on great matches, and he will. I really do believe that. So, I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to a rematch. So long as there aren't a ton of gimmicks attached to it at Extreme Rules, but you know, judging by the nature of the pay per view, that's probably going to happen. I'm with you. I didn't love all of the Stephanie Shane stuff. It felt a little contrived, but at least. It focused on the. It put the focus on the match. It emphasized that it would have a traditional finish. It gave the match meaning, and it helped continue to tell a good story. So I was fine with it in the end. Whatever, whatever you know, puts more focus on the match itself. I think is a good thing overall. Okay, so into the main event there. Let's move on to the women's championship match. Charlotte with Ric Flair in her corner as always, versus Natalia. Jim Neidhart's daughter, obviously, and Bret Hart makes his triumphant return in her corner there. This is a man who is obviously fighting cancer and has, you know, probably the biggest fight of his life that he is facing right now. And and reports suggest that he's he's making, you know, he's 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 bringing a strong fight, which is great to hear as a fan of Bret Hart, and we wish him. All, all the great health in the world, but I gotta say, Nevin, the the result of this match, and I think that these two women have put on really, really good matches before and are very good in the ring. But the result of this match and the reference that they make to the Montreal screw job with the presence of Bret Hart, it just it kind of, the execution fell flat, and I just thought that it was a really inappropriate way to honor a guy like Bret Hart who's given so much to the business with as much history as he has. He makes an appearance finally, and the thing you're going to reference is the most notorious moment in the history of the business and one that obviously was a dark time in his personal career. I just thought that was a really odd choice. Again, this all goes back to uh, Vince McMahon and his proclivities. He likes uh, little people wrestling. Uh, He likes toilet humor. And he likes, um, you know, rubbing it in people's faces. And this is one more opportunity to revisit, um, you know, Survivor Series 97. And, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that they did it, uh, but it is, number one, it's it's been done. It's been done and done and done and done and done and done again. So there's no need to do it. Second, I agree with you in that it's, at some level, it's personally disrespectful to Bret Hart, who was there, who made, you know, certainly a, you know, uh, a special trip just to be on your show. I mean, he's not touring currently. Um, you know, he's 
he he has cancer. He's fighting cancer. You know, he visibly, uh, you know, is not getting around all that well, um, uh, understandably. And to do that, to do that for the end time, it's just, it's just, I don't know why they felt compelled to do it, other than Vince McMahon being a petty person. And it was just, just needless. And the whole division has been coming along so well, aside from, um, you know, Becky Lynch and, Sasha Banks apparently dropping off the face of the earth since WrestleMania. Um, but there's no reason why uh, Charlotte and Natalia shouldn't have just been allowed to be on the show. You know, have have the old guys there, have them there to be kind of like, you know, an old uh, kind of distraction or, or, you know, what have you. Um, they basically did this same thing in NXT where Flair and heart were both faces and they do, were just at ringside to lend some gravitas to it. Now you can't do that with Flair right now with him being a heel, but uh, that NXT match was obviously much better than the one on uh, payback and just no with the finish. Just, just don't. I wish someone had just told them, no, we don't have to do this. Um, you know, I, I understand if you don't want to, get the title off Charlotte right now. I mean, that's fine. She's, she's doing some good work, you know, have, have Flair get the best of Brett. And then, and then you can still do the, the sharpshooter spot at the end that, you know, everybody liked and enjoyed, I think, which we probably would have liked to enjoy more. Have we not had that, you know, that silly finish, but, um, ultimately just, just a big disappointment. And, um, Really, it felt kind of a, a kind of a waste of uh, a Bret Hart appearance. Cause... Yeah, no, I agree. And and look, maybe it was Bret Hart's idea. I doubt it. It seemed like a Vince McMahon special to me. But I just yeah, even, whoever, whose ever idea it was, it just it didn't work. And and it was a shame they, again to not only to in a way disrespect, dishonor Bret Hart, but also. Take the take the focus off of the women in the match and let them tell their own story. Their feud has been appealing and, and fun, and they've done good in ring work. And you know, again, it was great to see Bret Hart. Great to see him him seemingly doing well. And I'm glad that it sounds like he's turning a corner in his fight. And hope he continues to do that. But golly, if the guy's going to make an appearance, make Bret Hart look good. You know, after he made your company look good for decades. You know, yeah. So. And you, you you talk about taking the focus off of the women, and that has been a complaint with Flair, I think, you know, Rick. Um, I don't mind Rick so much as long as there is a moment in the future where Charlotte just goes nuclear heel on him, where she just totally just lays waste to him and leaves him a crying mess in the ring and I think that's going to be like a nuclear heat moment. Yep. So I am I am for keeping Rick around for another two or three or four months as long as we get to that point. Yeah. And what's the long view here, right? Where you create that sort of strife between them where he, he is hogging the spotlight and, and they obviously butt heads and, and have this big split and you're right, it'll get a big reaction. Then you work towards the big reunion, the emotional reunion, and everybody knows that Ric Flair and, and obviously the family are they're emotional people, and it's just going to create one of those great and positive WWE moments. So hopefully, you know, long term, that's what we're working towards. 
But I, so. I, I really envision her just going like real nasty, mean, hateful heel, and I think I think that could really, really work. She's great at it. She really is. She, she's just she's one of the top performers in the company. So look forward to seeing more from Charlotte. All right, let's run through the the card here. Ambrose versus Jericho. Did that do anything for you? Now, now before you say anything, a stat that I saw going into payback, I believe. Dean Ambrose had lost his previous seven of eight pay-per-view matches, which is an astounding number to me, considering how popular he is among fans. And, you know, there's always the argument to be made, some guys don't need wins. I don't think bad guys need wins necessarily. I don't know if it's a good guy or a bad guy thing. But, you know, people have argued Kevin Owens lately. He doesn't necessarily need the win. He's going to be popular no matter what, and he's going to rebound strong and but I think Dean Ambrose has needed a win in, in the worst way, and I'm glad he got one. It just seems like at this point nobody really cares right now, and that's a shame. Yeah, uh, I will say that Ambrose definitely needed a win. Uh, I mean, you, you look back over his various programs, and when has he, you know, we'd say won a feud. He got demolished by Lesnar at every turn. Uh, you know, he lost... Uh, a pay-per-view match to Bray Wyatt due to a computer monitor. Um, so he hasn't had uh, what we call the best of luck in the ring. I think with this match, I, I turned a corner on Ambrose and not in a good way. That match to me just felt, it just felt a little pointless. And his, I have, I think I've just grown exhausted with his, his in-ring style. Uh, I don't think he's particularly good in the ring. And, I mean, he, he works hard, um, but his offense, and this includes, you know, like the basic stuff like punches and whatnot, it just looks it looks fake. It looks hokey. All of his rebound clotheslines and his the spots where he, like, rebounds under the ring, it just, it just all looks so ridiculous. And there is, like, 25% of Dean Ambrose that I like when he cuts a serious kind of dark promo outside of the ring. Uh, but when he's goofy Dean Ambrose, I don't like. And like I said, I've, I think I've, I've started to give up on his actual in-ring work. So, I mean, at this point, I, maybe Dean Ambrose is about where he should be. Upper mid-card, occasionally in, in a program that's worth paying attention to, but he's probably not going to, you know, come out on the winning side of it. And maybe that's just where he is and maybe that's where he needs to be. Yeah, that, that, you might be right. And and I agree with you about his in-ring pedigree. And maybe there's a low ceiling there for him. He's obviously an athletic guy and he is capable of putting on good matches. And he has done that before with guys like Kevin Owens and Rollins. And the, the, the man is capable for sure. But I agree with you in terms of like the offense that you mentioned, the the, the the punches and chops, the like you said, the rebounding clothesline, I have never liked that and, and different variations on that are just like you said, they're hokey, they're goofy and it's just a wonder to me that they've they've had a few different choices and paths that they could have gone down with him. The fact that they just went full on goofy for the most part with this guy, I don't get it. I don't get it. So in in Jericho to you know, to his credit, he has had a I think a great run lately and I hope to see more of him very soon in the near future, and you know perhaps he'll factor into 
you know, what's coming up with with some of these other guys. I, I don't know. I think there's a fatal four way on the on the way here among you know for the Intercontinental Title and, and starting real quick, and we can kind of blend these two if we need to. But the Intercontinental Title match, the Miz versus Cesaro. I thought the I thought the Miz was kind of a random choice to be the guy to hold the belt at the moment, but I think along with Jericho, he's doing some really great work right now, especially with his wife. Maurice coming back, I think she's been fantastic, and and they've done some great promos. And the Miz is doing; he's putting on fun matches too, and telling good good stories as a bad guy. And he's done some good work with Cesaro, and I like the the sort of blend that they've had with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn too. And I think all those four are going to be involved in, in in some sort of Extreme Rules match coming up. But real quick, did you enjoy the Intercontinental Championship match? Uh, yeah, I thought it was just fine. I I liked. This kind of you know telling a story between uh, the Zayn Owens match and the Miz Cesaro match, like I, I think they could stand to weave more matches together and tell uh, you know bigger picture stories. I'll agree with you on the Miz. I like his act. Uh, I like everything he's doing right now, aside from these goofy, cheesy you know movie line moments that I'm sure the writers get really excited about, but. I don't think it does anything else or anyone else any good. I mean, they're they're good for some cheap booze, but that's about it. It's I agree. It's it's more groan inducing than heat inducing. Um, the only problem I had with the Zayn Owens match, which was phenomenal, which is about what you'd expect when you put these two in the ring, uh, the stakes are just they're just too low. This should be a main event program. These guys have the chops to pull off a main event program. The in-ring work is there. The personal animosity, which you know, obviously doesn't exist, but they do a great job of, of putting across the idea that it really exists. It's there. I mean, this this should be a a world heavyweight title feud and not a feud over the Intercontinental Championship. That was the only part during that whole segment where I kind of groaned, where Owens was like, yeah, I want to get my IC title back. I was like, oh. Uh, I wish I wish this was you know, the stakes were higher, but their match was really really great. I thought their NXT championship match, the one that ended by ref stoppage, was was better. But uh, for what this was, where it was in the show, absolutely uh, phenomenal. Yeah, and and I'll disagree with you to an extent about the icy title thing because you know we're we're having. To- to live with the the age of Roman Reigns as the champion, and I, I've always been a fan of the IC belt, and and there's a great history there in terms of guys who have held it and their status within the company and and what that means for their future, and and I think that if anything, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, if they can't have the world title feud, then it should be the Intercontinental title because I think that would give the belt a necessary weight, and it would give the feud more stakes if they were fighting over a title with as as rich a history as that belt has. And those are guys, just in terms of the tradition of the title, that definitely fit the bill. And I think it would lend importance, and and it it would put a a greater emphasis on something that used to mean something. And they've tried for the past couple of years to to bring that back, but it's just got – I don't know. It's like when – when Daniel Bryan won the ladder match at WrestleMania 31, that was an attempt at making it more important by giving the biggest fan favorite the belt, right? And then he gets hurt, and then it gets abandoned, and, and it gets lost in sort of, you know, WWE oblivion again. They tried it again, 
But then Zack Ryder randomly won and held the belt for less than 24 hours. And it's like, wait, wait, what? What's going on here? So maybe Cesaro is that guy to sort of take the, you know, in, inherit it. You know, pass Miz can pass the torch to him, and he can be that next guy to sort of make the transition from IC belt to heavyweight contender. So we'll see. So I, I, I do like the Intercontinental title, and I do think those guys should be feeding over it. But say la vie. They're great performers no matter what they're fighting over, and we're going to get a great match no matter what. So real quick, Nevin, because the match was sadly uh, too short, the tag team title match to determine the number one contender for the tag team championship, Enzo Amore and, and Big Cass versus the Vaude Villains obviously ended too soon, and, and they had to cut the match short because Enzo Amore took a, a as, as Stone Cold Steve Austin would put it, a hellacious bump out of the ring and, and he obviously landed awkwardly and his head hit the mat and he hit the, the you know the ground outside the ring and you know nobody knew what was going on obviously even even Simon Gotch of the Vaudevillains he seemed to think that he was okay and it was part of the act and quickly we learned that that was not true he was really hurt and they had to you know wheel the guy out of there on a stretcher that was just a you know he's fine now thankfully but that was a yes. really scary moment as always, I, I hope this makes them rethink their next hushed tones, you know, worked injury angle, that sort of thing. Like, you know, see how awkward this was when you have to deal with a real injury, WWE, and remember that, you know, maybe you should try to shy away from those in the future. Um, you know, the angles. I'm I'm very much glad that he's okay. Uh and you know, I'd certainly uh, I don't wish ill health for any uh, wrestler, but especially Amore and Cass were really, really over. They were they were like a reason to tune into Raw. Um, they just seamlessly made the transition from NXT, um, you know, to the main roster, and the act was just it was just going great. Um, especially Amore on the. Um, on the mic. I mean, he was doing some amazing work and, um, you know, certainly they're not going to rush him back from a concussion and I hope they take their time and I hope the spot is, is waiting for them when they get back. Um, you know, my biggest question watching the show, you know, after whether he's going to be okay was how did that injury change, not just the complexion of the show, but the complexion of, you know, programs going forward. And I think the idea was, that the Dudleys were going to run in, cost Enzo and cast the match, and then we were going to have Dudleys uh, against those guys at Extreme Rules. And that would have been something to watch. That would have been a program. Um, and I hope that we can get back to that in the future. But, uh, yeah, I nothing but the, the, the best wishes for a speedy recovery for Enzo Amore. Yeah, and it seems like he's making it. And, and I know everybody looks forward to, you know, seeing him back out there. I mean, when his music is hit, on the past two televised events, their music has hit. People have blown up the way they always do, and obviously it's just been big cast coming out there cutting promos on the vaude villains and and others. And he he's been really good. It's given at least it's given him a great opportunity to to do some solo work and cut his own promos without you know sort of one of the promo kings of the business right now, Enzo Amore. And I think it's really strengthened him on, on the mic. And he was already you know fun along with Amore, but, you know, I think he's taking advantage of the opportunity and proving himself to be somebody who has the potential to be a solo competitor in the near future, but in the in the even more near future, 
we got to get Enzo Amore back out there and healthy and, and teaming up with this guy because they're a ton of fun to watch. So yes, the the, the last thing. I mean, do we want to skip the pre-show stuff just because everybody pretty typically skips the pre-show anyway? It might have been one last fleeting, glorious glimpse of the Ryback. And and just a hilarious sign that they're already giving up on Baron Corbin. But outside of that, I don't think I have too many thoughts. Uh, I loved Ryback's weight belt, the pre-show stopper. Uh, that, sh- that probably should have been a, a big sign of his uh, dissatisfaction uh, with the company. And uh, if he's gone, uh, he was a weird, quirky Goldberg knockoff that uh, – that never quite clicked, but uh, I don't think uh, it was just his fault. Like everybody else's, he was he was pushed in some weird directions. I think if they had uh, stayed with that self-help kind of spiritual ride back, that would have been uh, that would have been something to watch for for a couple of years. But um, you know, yeah, I'm not gonna... like reading out of the books in the in the ring. That was so bizarre. No, ride back. I, he's obviously he's got you know the the great traditional WWE Vince McMahon obsessed look. I mean he's he's like the ultimate the ultimate wrestler on paper probably in the eyes of Vince McMahon. But I, I've I've thought he's pretty clumsy in the ring, you know, and he had a long way to go in that regard. And you all, you always hear those stories about how it's dangerous to get into the ring with him. You know I don't know how true that is, you know, I'll take I'll I'll take the word of, of wrestlers who have competed with him. I certainly haven't and nor would I ever. But you know, he <laughs> he's had some interesting moments for sure and he had a lot of potential. So you know, I hope he doesn't go away. But, you know, I think he's done some interesting stuff here with Kalisto and they've put on some good matches. I think this match actually surprised a lot of people with, with you know the quality of it. That shouldn't surprise you because Kalisto is obviously a really talented performer. So it's just a shame that these guys have been reduced to the pre-show. And for that matter, a belt has been reduced to the pre-show. The way Ben Stark jokes about it, how they should rename it the pre-show championship belt. And that should definitely happen just how they're treating it. It's ridiculous. And then also a guy like Dolph Ziggler, one of the, the most like reliable workers in the business, just tossing him into the pre-show is, is just, I don't know, disrespectful is the right word, but man, this guy just busts his ass all the time and puts on great shows and makes everybody look great, and it's just a shame to see him there, too, but I mean, I guess it's all in the name of pushing a new guy like Baron Corbin, who had, you know, they're giving him somewhat of a push, but I don't know if he has connected the way that they have hoped. And and it's not even that great of a push. I mean, I I get the finish they're going here. You know, where, you know, where they're going with the finish, like you know, the distracted, uh, cocky heel gets rolled up. But you know, this should be like the Rusev push that we had a couple of years ago that you know, they they gave up on. Like Corbin should be demolishing folks. You know, he should yeah. not be losing to a roll up to I hate somebody who has who has no direction or consistency or, you know, future programs like Dolph Ziggler. So it's it's really a shame for everybody concerned. Um so I like I don't I don't know what they're doing with either one of those guys now. No. So, anything else on, on payback? Any anything else on your mind? I think we've pretty much covered everything. I mean outside of the Stephanie versus Shane thing, if that's anything you want to get into. You know they're they're ultimately going with some type of you know, Shane Stephanie conflict. And just this idea that 
oh, oh, you know, she's playing nice. Maybe she is nice. You know, maybe this could, maybe this could work. It's all this kind of phony, you know, meandering to get us to the conclusions they want. It's uh, if you remember when uh, Randy Orton came back from injury and he was making nice with Seth Rollins and. They were like, oh, these guys are going to work together. No, obviously Orton is going to, you know, face turn on him at some point. It's just this phony, you know, wandering through the desert to the conclusion, like I said, that they want. And, I mean, the the end is telegraphed. And, like I said, I, I don't think that the journey to get there is going to be all that enjoyable. I would just prefer Shane or... William Regal or some, you know, some face or neutral authority make uh, authority figure just making decisions and just get us away from all of this authority stuff. But you know, we have to live through McMahon drama, and inevitably, you know, McMahon's attacking some beloved face and providing the adversarial drama in the wrestling show, as opposed to you know, letting wrestlers be wrestlers and telling stories. Because who wants that? It's all about the McMahons. All right, man. We did it. We covered payback. The professor, Will Nevin, always appreciate it. Always a fun time. This is Ben Flanagan, and I am joined by Ben Stark up in Huntsville. Ben, how's it going? Very good. Good. So we just got done with Payback, this pay-per-view, the first one after WrestleMania. And I think, you know, for the most part, we liked it okay. But, you know, what's on my mind right now in in the world of WWE, Ben, and it's something that's been on my mind for a while, as you pointed out before we started this call, we've talked a lot about Roman Reigns, the sort of path that he's been on for a while as the guy, as they put it there in WWE. And as pretty much everybody puts it, because he is now the face of the company. He's the heavyweight champion. He's the top guy in the, in world wrestling entertainment. Obviously, Vince McMahon's new golden boy, maybe at least until John Cena comes back, and we'll see how he fits into the big picture. But Roman Reigns has one of the most unique career paths to the top of WWE and, and all of professional wrestling that I can really remember in a while, just the way that the fans have revolted against him. And we've covered that quite a bit here, so no need to rehash that. We know how people respond to him for the most part. He does have his fans, obviously. And you and I, you know, we, we do not hate Roman Reigns. We are not part of that sect of fans who think he is wrong for you know being the top guy overall we both agree that you know we're perfectly fine with it happening at some point but we might just disagree with how it has all gone down so far so what i want to talk to you about is the latest i guess progression in the roman reigns storyline and it, it all kind of started with this aj styles emergence as the number one contender for the the world championship, Ben, I think that strangely, and maybe this is just the the, the optimist in me when it comes to hoping that you know we we move past all of this Roman Reigns vitriol, which I think is tired and I think is kind of annoying on the part of the smart fans out there. And 
and it's just kind of a negative – it just puts off a negative vibe that I'm not really enjoying about the business, although it is fascinating. But I've gotten the impression that Roman Reigns has turned a bit of a corner when it comes to fans finally accepting him, and that might have everything to do with the job that AJ Styles did as his opponent leading up to payback, at payback, and since payback with the first Raw that followed the pay-per-view last week. I think people are responding to Roman Reigns while still negatively, I think that they're responding differently now and not not we're not hearing as loud of booze although we're hearing booze do you agree with me that in the job that he's done with AJ Styles in the ring and Anderson and Gallows and obviously the Usos being involved to to some degree do you agree that there is a difference in how people are responding to Roman Reigns right now we got Reigns on the brains um yeah no I, I definitely think you can I think a microcosm of what you're talking about can be seen on Sunday if you watch that match whenever Roman Reigns comes out and the Chicago crowd boos him quite loudly. uh, Then you watch that match and everything that happens in it. And then at the end of that match, he wins and people aren't booing. Uh, I don't, I I can't recall what they were doing, but they certainly, it it wasn't that kind of unanimous horrifying booing sound that we've heard so often when he comes out. So, no, I definitely think you're correct, and I think that nothing has changed on his end. I don't think it's really ever been his fault along the way, other than maybe not speaking up and, and, and taking a stand and, and saying that he's being written and, and handled poorly. But I do think that we're just in a place now where, whether it's Vince McMahon or whether it's a writer or whether it's a group of writers, somebody backstage has really put some very good work into making the main event scene, which happens to include Roman Reigns, a interesting landscape and an interest in narratively engaging a place to place to be a, a thing to watch. I mean, in addition to better writing, I think that Roman Reigns definitely looks a lot better when he's in the ring against a guy like AJ Styles. I mean, say whatever you want about that match on Sunday. I think even with all the McMahon shenanigans, that match was extremely well put together and performed, and the energy was so high and the storytelling was so good that, you know, when the writing is good and when the opponent is good, both guys get the rub. You know, both guys look like a million bucks. So I think that he's benefiting from the environment around him changing more than anything that he's doing himself. And I think fans are predictably responding in a positive way. And it's, it's funny that, that it's even a surprise. You know, it's like, well, if you, if you give a guy good material and you put him in the ring with somebody that's also talented, then good stuff is going to happen and the fans are going to res- respond. I think it's just that simple. You know, I thought it was a huge risk when they decided that that AJ Styles was going to be the number one contender and was going to be Roman Reigns' next, or really his first challenger after his WrestleMania victory. I just, I just thought that was a strange decision, and I thought the fans would result even more because of how big a fan favorite AJ Styles is. And if you're just going to throw him to the wolves, as it were, in, in face in, in job to Roman Reigns in a championship match, that's just gonna make it's gonna throw gasoline onto the fire. 
But I, I think it's it's done the opposite, and it's done what obviously WWE hoped it would do. And like you just said, it's made Roman Reigns look good in the ring. And I, I think they put on a really solid match at Payback. And and I you know I, I hope they I guess they're having a rematch at Extreme Rules, which is what they referenced on. Uh, I guess after the match on Payback, so I look forward to their their next pay per view match for the belt. But you know, I, I fear that it's going to involve some sort of lame gimmick, and it may not turn out as well. But I think it all just comes down to some really simply told, solid, foundational wrestling storytelling that that was in the build up to their their Payback match, and then and then also during the match, and again. On Raw, I think that it's just been sold really well by both guys and also by Anderson and Gallows. I think they've been a great part of this, and I love where they're going with AJ Styles and, and his sort of going with it, teaming up with those guys. I thought that the main event of Raw was really entertaining. It was a good six-man match, but I really thought the aftermath of that, right before the end, when Anderson and Gallows were attacking Roman Reigns and setting him up and, and holding him up for AJ Styles to hit him with the chair and all that ensued. It was just really, it was it was interesting. There were like little twists and turns. There was miscommunication on the part of everybody. And, and I just thought that it was just fun. It was just good writing and good storytelling by those guys in the ring. And it, it's just rare, I think, for WWE right now to, to do so much non-verbally, to develop their characters organically. And the the best part about this is Roman Reigns is at the center of it, and he's doing as good a job with this as AJ Styles is. And I don't know if, like you said, it's it's Roman Reigns who has yet to sort of step up and say, look, I don't like this writing. We need to do something different. Because, you know, when he comes out and does his promos that are, that are like, you know, last week I came out here and I Superman punched AJ Styles <laughs> in the mouth, or he comes out and says stuff like, I bring the big fight. You know, and like, that just gets no response. Yeah. It's just empty stuff. It's it's and it's repetitive. He says the same stuff over and over. He actually had that what was a good line where he says, "I'm not a good guy, I'm not the bad guy, I'm the guy." When he first said that, it was interesting, and then he said it 17 more times on television, right. and they just wore it out. So it makes me wonder if these new Japan guys like AJ Styles and Anderson Gallows have they stepped up and have they brought new ideas to the table where they did do this kind of, again, nonverbal storytelling that was communicating to an international audience. Is that something they've brought to the table? Is, is Vince able to sort of swallow his pride and let these guys with, with little to no experience in the WWE come come in and say, look, this, this kind of thing worked for us. It's what you guys used to do. Let's try this. Let's go old school with it. Do you get that sense, or, or do you think that Roman is, is – maybe finally calling some of his own shots. I, I honestly don't think it's either. Um, I don't think that, I mean, based on their track record, I don't, uh, I don't think that Vince McMahon would really take, take many suggestions from guys that are so new and, and certainly so such the opposite of homegrown talent. Um, I also don't think that, I mean, I think that Roman Reigns probably by this time next year, um, just by sheer force of the push that they've been giving him, I don't think uh, I think by this time next year he'll be in the position where he can kind of throw his weight around but I think he's still new so newly minted that he probably still doesn't feel like he can do that. I again I, I think that there's some sort of 
either Vince McMahon is is uh, just you know is in a, a creative uh, high point right now, or or he's, he's you know there's a writer back there that's pitching really good ideas, or maybe it's Triple H is off TV, so maybe he's spending a little bit more time on the storytelling end of things. But I think it's just they're they're playing in these these shades of gray that when you say that often it seems like you're you're they're trying to be edgy, you know, or something like that. Like you, know, you might say that in the Attitude Era, that that everybody was was in shades of gray, and there wasn't good or bad. But I, I don't think that's true. I think that there are shades of gray in you know Hogan versus Savage, and I think that in good wrestling storytelling, there's always going to be proper motivations for everybody. And it's just crazy because if you look at the build up to Triple H versus Roman Reigns, in that the story is. Roman Reigns is a super good guy. He's a good dude. And Triple H is a really bad dude. And they're just going to beat up each other until it's time for their match. And that is not very interesting. It's uh, There's no tension there. Um, but here you have two guys that are both pretty good bros, but they have tension between each other because they want the same thing and they can't both have it. And then you have this, you know, AJ's past or whatever you want to call um, the Bullet Club guys uh, getting involved and in, in that cranks up the mistrust. And I think that, again, you're just playing with these two characters that are multifaceted. You know, Roman Reigns is no longer just the super good dude. He's got a chip on his shoulder and he feels like he's got something to lose now. And he feels like, you know, he's been maligned by the fans and by the company a little bit. So he's, his attitude is kind of coming out. Does it mean he's a full-on villain? No, he doesn't have to be. He just needs to be himself or an extension of himself. He needs to be an organic character, and they're allowing that. And I think that that is – I think he's had the ability to do that this whole time. He just hasn't been given the material or the the the, the, the slack, I guess, uh, to go do it. You know, those are great points, and, and it's interesting you say shades of gray because I think of AJ Styles, too. He, he's a guy who, who came into this thing – as an immediate good guy, right? And that's the way they played him. That's the way he played out during the Jericho feud. And now with Roman Reigns, you know, after – I like what they've been doing with his ring gear since the Roman Reigns stuff started because ever since their match and ever since it all started, now he's wearing all black for the most part and wearing the Bullet Club colors and working with those guys. So he's he – and Roman to an extent, at least before this – both of them are kind of teetering on, on the edge of good guy, bad guy. And at some point, one of these guys is going to have to turn bad. And <laughs> this is such a weird... Are they, though? Are they? But, like, what if they don't? Like, what if what if they just, you know, what if they just keep towing this line? And well, then but, just... it, it's, but it's, it's interesting, but I don't know. I think, I think that's the next logical step. And they've given AJ Styles several opportunities to do that. And... and I, I, again, I love the contrast he brings to Anderson and Gallows, and how you know how they're such bad influences on him. And they want him to use the chair. They want him to kick Roman while he's down, and and he keeps saying no over and over. But then something happens, like he gets sucker punched, and that causes him to retaliate. And and again, he's tempted to work with his buddies and maybe ch- take the chair shot. But again, he. He decides no, and again, there's that that element of miscommunication where maybe Roman or the Usos do think AJ took the cheap shot, and and they go after him again. It's just it's just really fun. It's it's great misdirection, and it, it's just being executed beautifully by these guys. 
in the ring. You know what's weird? It, like when, when you were talking about it, and I was thinking about again this good guy versus good guy thing, and and whether or not one of these one of these guys will turn. A storyline that I'm kind of reminded of is a mid '90s thing, and this is this is not the greatest storyline to run <laughs> in in WWE history. But I'm reminded of that whole thing with Lex Luger and the Million Dollar Man and Tatanka. I don't know if you remember this, but Tatanka <laughs> no. was Lex Luger and Tatanka were both good guys, and Tatanka was accusing Lex Luger of quote selling out to the Million Dollar Man and like carrying out his dastardly deeds in, in working in cahoots with, you know, one of the company's all-time bad guys. And then, it, you know, the swerve that they had was that it was really Tatanka all along, and he ended up turning bad and becoming part of Money, Inc., or whatever, headed by DiBiase, and, and Luger was the good guy all along. Again, it's it, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it does sort of remind me of old-school days and old-school good guy versus bad guy storytelling where there is there are those shades of gray. And, and there are just natural progressions that you can make and twists that you can make to make one guy look great, one guy look terrible, and get the right reaction from the fans. Again, it's something that just – this reminds me of that. And, and regardless of the you know the extent of the quality of that back in the mid-'90s, I think the fact that this is reminding me of those days is probably a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's other really good examples. Of, you know, there's there Lex Luger versus Sting and – early WCW, and then also Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock in the lead-up to WrestleMania 17. They were both, you know, the biggest stars in the world, and, and they they had to figure out which one was better. And I think that those are those are really great approaches, and, and they can they could be used to tell these great stories. And in terms of one of these guys turning full bad, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at New, uh, uh, AJ's New Japan stuff and his matches with Kota Ibushi or Okada, he is an excellent heel. I mean, he is just nasty, uh, just really brutal and a really great villain. Um, however, he was that way because he was this gaijin American in Japan. People wanted to hate him. I think in WWE, he is such a naturally likable guy, and I think it'd be a huge mistake to take him away from the fans, you know, to take this this hot new hero uh, away from the fans. That said, the company is kind of lacking a major top villain. I mean, Bray Wyatt, the last time we saw him, was, was kind of teetering on a face turn, and Kevin Owens could probably be it, but he's in a pretty great program right now, so you wouldn't want to skyrocket him to the top either. So, I mean, they kind of need, if they're going to eventually go a more traditional route with Roman, they kind of need to set up some monsters, you know, in, in the earthquake uh, uh, <laughs> kind of Kamala, you know, kind of sense uh, for him to take down if, if he's going to be the conquering hero. Although it just doesn't seem like they're going that direction. And I think, honestly, that that's the best way to go is to is to let Roman be the guy at the top that is, He's not friends with anybody, and guess what? That means he can feud with anybody. So you throw Dolph, Dolph Ziggler up at the top, and and have give him a program where you put up Rusev, or you know, so you take the 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 cool, the, the the biggest baby face guy in the company and, and put him against Roman, and you know it'll work. And you take the biggest villain in the company and, and put him against Roman, it'll work. And that's a pretty great way to keep Roman Reigns at the top of the card for an extended period of time while he continues to develop into. Uh, what seems to be a pretty fantastic performer, although I will say he's got to lose the fist-cocking motion and he's got to lose that costume. 
adding I like the, the gold. Oh, it's so bad. The no, adding the gold. No, it looks like a bumblebee. He looks like a bumblebee. Oh, the, okay. So the, the the bumblebee variation on the. Costume. It doesn't make any sense. Why would this guy that's so tough and such a brawler go out there with a D'Lo Brown bulletproof vest? It makes no sense whatsoever. It, it's 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 shameful. It's no, shameful. I, I, I I like the look. Fine. Like I think it worked with the shield, and I, I still think. The all-black attire still looks good for him, even though, again, he's he's their top good guy. I But I agree, the variations on it, where they've, they've put some blue in there in the past. It, it oh, awful. purple. Oh. Yeah, the, or purple. That was terrible. The Bumblebee look, the, the, I guess I guess that's his pay-per-view, go-to pay-per-view costume. Yeah, they haven't been great. But no, I, I kind of disagree with you. But, but no, it's, it's just interesting because... You know, I look at even even something like on a, the last episode of SmackDown as we're talking about this, when the breakup of the League of Nations a couple weeks last week, I thought again, like I, I hate to keep going back to this term old school, but for whatever reason, these this focus on in-ring old school narrative progression, it just feels so fresh right now. I don't know. If it's because they've they've had to abandon the authority angle because Triple H is taking his break, Stephanie was gone for a little while, and she's obviously tied up in the whole you know Shane feud and Monday Night Raw uh, thing. But even their disintegration was interesting to me. That you mentioned the Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn thing. That is just a great traditional feud that has. Oh, just, and. The way that they're weaving that in with the Intercontinental uh, Championship is fantastic. Like, so I, here's another theory. I said earlier that maybe since Triple H is off TV, he's in the back molding the stories. Hey, you know who else is off TV? Paul Heyman. And the way that they weaved in Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and then kept Kevin Owens out there bragging and then put him on commentary and then during the Intercontinental Championship match and then had Sammy attack him and then had that impact the match, the complexity there and the way that those things are weaving together, that is very ECW, where a match would happen, a promo would happen because of that match, another guy would come out and then another match would break out. And it was just this kind of fluid narrative thing that was happening. That's very that's very Paul Heyman. And I would not be surprised if as much as Vince hates Paul's guts, if he's back there, uh, if he's back there getting some tips on how to run the show, oh, you got to think that somebody like Paul Heyman. I mean, the, you got to think he sees money in Kevin Owens and in Sami Zayn. Oh, yeah. Obviously, oh, yeah. he's, it's these throwback figures who who fans just adore already. And again, Ke- Kevin Owens, it's just like anything the guy does is great. Yep. And, and yep. whether it's he's just a masterful in ring performer, he's fantastic on the mic, he's funny. As as uh, you know, whether he's on Twitter or he's he's in the ring cutting a promo, he's even funnier when he's on commentary. And and like I, I just love it when he's on commentary, you know, after his match, and then all of a sudden Sami Zayn comes and attacks him mid sentence. It's fantastic. Like th- those guys, you know, obviously have such great chemistry. But God, I mean, in a way, like you said, like is, is maybe maybe they you know want him to take the right steps and and work his way to the top, you know, slowly but surely. But it almost seems like a waste for this guy not to be the top villain in the company just in terms of the response that he gets, the quality of, of work that he's done so far. I mean, are, are 
I hate – I don't want to say that they're misusing Kevin Owens because, again, everything that he's done has either been interesting, entertaining, what have you. But is it time for him to take the next step, especially if Seth Rollins is is that much that 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 far away from returning? No, I think right now it's a really good time to keep the Roman thing on top going. And if if they're serious about establishing that guy, and by God, they better stick to it now that they're there. You know, like if if the horrible build up to him as champion over the last two years uh, doesn't result in something constructive then that's going to be very frustrating. So now that the pain of the buildup is over and we can just say, okay, he's at the top, what now? And so let's actually, like, explore that fully. And I feel like if you play your cards right, Kevin Owens versus Roman Reigns is a huge marquee match, you know, uh, eventually if they if they build up those guys. So I wouldn't rush him up there right now. I would I would hold him off. And, and honestly, he's he's doing great work. And I think that, I think it helps when during the Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens match, you've got the announcers out there saying both of these guys are going to be championship, like world championship material someday. Like that's something you don't actually hear that often, which is crazy. Uh, but I, I feel like the fact that they say that kind of thing, it makes me more patient to wait and, and kind of let things develop naturally instead of just thinking that, well, Vince might change his mind next month and, you know, put Kevin Owens on the pre-show forever, you know, I feel like, and I feel like the consistency that Owens has had over the last year kind of, again, puts me at ease that, okay, he's not, he's not a flash in the pan for the company that they, they really see his talent and they're going to let him develop organically and naturally over time. Um, I think there are plenty of other people on the card though, that, you know, now's the time to give them a run at the top and see how the fans react and, and then go from there. And I also think that, you've got people coming back pretty soon that you can get some pretty high profile matches out of Roman without wasting something super unique. You know, I think a Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns for the championship could, you know, that that could headline a few pay-per-views or I don't know if you want to go ahead and give people John Cena versus Roman Reigns. That seems like a pretty big, big money match, but, uh, but he's coming back. Of course. I, I mean, I honestly think you could put three weeks of work into Rusev and you've got, incredible challenger for the championship. I won't say Sheamus, but there's so many different directions they could go in right now, and I think that's good, and I think that they're in a place where they're healthy enough in the main event that they don't have to hot shot a guy like Kevin Owens at the top. Is Kevin Owens the WWE's best asset right now? And if not, who is? Uh, Best active participant? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm tempted to say AJ Styles, but because Styles is limited on his mic work, and because he's exclusively kind of a good guy, I feel like a, a good bad guy is almost always more useful than a good um, uh, face because, really, if you have a good heel, anybody can be the face, you know, because everybody always wants the heel to lose. And that's the great thing about Kevin Owens is that he is he wants people to boo him no matter what. You know, he's not this cool – he's not the Triple H kind of villain who – kind of will go for the cheers when when he feels like they're out there to get. Um, Kevin Owens will do whatever he has to to look like an idiot, to look like uh, look petty, <laughs> and he will make fun of children. I mean, he is just the <laughs> consummate heel, and that is that is beautiful to see in this day and age when everybody wants to be, you know, since the NWO kind of, you know, everybody wants to be the cool 
Kevin Nash bad guy, and yeah. that just doesn't hardly ever work. He does not care about cheers. He he will feed off of booze. I mean, in the same way that Chris Jericho has yep. as of yep. late, and he he's been fantastic, and I think he's been one of their better assets lately. Well, the, the greatest one of the greatest heel moves of the last uh, few months is Jericho tweeting out. Well, it's been nice. See you later <laughs> after the pay per view on Sunday, and then coming right back on Monday. I mean, that's I mean, just—it's amazing. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, like Owen's handshake fake outs with children, you know, in the audience are always great. I, Jericho tore up a sign that said "Get Well, Brett" in Canada at, <laughs> at Roadblock. I believe. I can't believe that. Again, you say something's like ECW. That is right out of ECW playbook man i mean that 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 is just great stuff and again you know i think the guy is canadian i'm I'm sure there's probably no more no bigger fan of of bret hart's and of of his home country than jericho but i think he just kind of knew what the right thing to do was. yeah that's 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 the art of care about that stuff you know like it always it's always kind of bugs me when when like they they go to a certain hometown or country even and they feature the person whose home crowd it is and they kind of right. play it out of character you know and they yeah. kind of become the hero of the match just because that's where they are instead i mean like just focus on their biggest strengths you know and and the, the audience will do or cheer however you want them to if you just do the right thing but yeah i mean owens to me yes he is the guy right now and i i kind of agree with you they kind of have to play it Played a little slower instead of, like you said, hot shotting him to the top. <laughs> you know, I, you know how I feel about Seth Rollins. I mean, that guy to me is the total package. Yeah. Oh. Oh. When he's when when Seth Rollins is on the and you know on the he's active roster, he's the yeah. guy. Yeah. He he yeah, un, unquestionably right. Like he he is, and he is just he's really lightning in a bottle. And you know, we we obviously just hope that he comes back healthy and is able to perform at the level that he was and before man, he went out. I don't I don't get to watch Raw very often, and so I probably won't watch won't be watching it live if he comes back on Raw. But I hope whenever he does come back, well, first I guess I hope it's at a pay per view that I'm actually watching. Uh, but second of all, I hope that it's not built up at all. You know, oh, I, yeah. just, I just want to hear that music and see what the crowd does. And like I, the Shane comeback. Like the Shane comeback. You know that that's something that. I I wasn't watching it live, but as soon as I read about it, I I they thankfully threw it on YouTube very quickly, and I watched that comeback like three times just to see the crowd react. And it's just so rare. It's one of the great things about pro wrestling is it's so rare that you see that many people in a single place react in that way to something like that. And I feel like Seth Rollins' comeback, if they play it correctly. If they don't have a graphic two weeks ahead of time that says in two weeks on Raw Seth Rollins is going to Skype in, you know, it's if they don't do anything <laughs> like that, it's going to be huge. And the bigger it is, the better it's going to be for Seth Rollins fans because then, you know, everybody in the back will see that hey, hey, we need to keep this guy in exactly the spot he was in when he left and not make him crawl back up the card the way that they've done so many times when people get hurt, you know. You yeah. had a lot of people come back from injuries and just kind of, you know, falter around until either their next injury or, or until, you know, maybe they get another shot down the line. So I really hope that that's not the case with Seth Rollins. 
Well, you mentioned to Randy Orton, he's another guy that they've always been able to depend on, and he brings a lot to the table. You've got, again, AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn at some point. They're, they're going to have to call up Nakamura at some point. Finn Balor is on the cusp of coming to WWE and making his big, long-awaited debut. And, again, you go back to Seth Rollins. And, and I, I have a quick question for you. Um, as somebody that's not super familiar with uh, with New Japan, and honestly, I'm not too familiar with this era of New Japan, but Finn Balor founded the Bullet Club, and he used to be the, the leader when he was Prince Devitt. If there are some rumors that he will make his main roster debut and kind of be immediately injected into this AJ Gallows-Anderson um, thing, would that mean anything to you as a as a WWE fan? Or do you think that that would be a weird thing to all of a sudden take the good guy, NXT guy, and, and throw him on the top of the main roster and cite this thing that happened in a different country? I, I think the latter more more so than anything. You know, I, I know a lot of people obviously know about it. Hardcore wrestling fans would be really excited, but I think for most WWE fans who have zero familiarity or very limited familiarity with New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's going to, it's going to, you know, they're going to give, it's going to require a learning curve, you know, and maybe more than, than people are really willing to, to give, or maybe it's the coolest thing on earth and people just latch right onto it. But, you know, it has to be more than just bootleg NWO, right? Like it, yep. it has to, well, and that's I know the that, thing. I know that it is more than that already and that and that people really responded to it over there, but again Well actually you say that but not really. I mean that's that's the the thing about the bullet well, why club. Why are people all wearing bullet club shirts? Everywhere? Well because you know, like, because it started as it's basically a parody of bad boy heel factions from the nineties. It's a parody of DX and the NWO. There's the young bucks are members of the Bullet Club and they they do crotch chops like a bunch, like to a, a comical degree where it's like, this is the, it, it's like becomes, it's already lame and then it becomes lamer and then it becomes funny because they're doing it so much. And they're so they know purpose. it's lame and that's why they're doing it? it exactly, exactly. Well, then there's no way Vince yes. and Triple H are going to let that happen. Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And it, it's it's a parody of that and it's a, uh, it, it's kind of a version of that. So bringing it back into WWE is going to be exactly that. It's going to be, you know, a fourth-generation copy of a parody, and all of the subtlety and the brilliance of it in Japan will not transfer. So I think a lot of these gross nerds that are wanting to see the Bullet Club in WWE, I don't, I don't think they really know what they're asking for, and I think it would be damaging to Finn Balor, honestly, to saddle him with this kind of, um, extracurricular backstory rather than just letting him be who he is now. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, again, with some of these NXT guys, we've talked about the call-ups that haven't quite worked out. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen to Finn Balor because I mean, he was one of NXT's top guys there, and we've seen how guys like that have translated it lately with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. But Aaron Neville was uh, – I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Neville, <laughs> Neville was – one of the, the top guys, and, and Bo Dallas was one of the top guys, and it obviously didn't work out. And, you know, I don't know. I, you talk about saddling Finn Balor with that. I, I Honestly, if, if they let him do a 15-minute entrance every time he, he comes out at Raw, I think people might get a little tired yeah. of that, even though I know people are fans of it right now. 
So I'm not sure what they're going to do. And honestly, you know, having seen Finn Balor and what he's done in NXT, what you described there about the Bullet Club and him being immediately injected into that as he debuts and becoming a, a part of the primary storyline, to me that would be more interesting than him just doing what he did at NXT. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe the NXT guys need a little bit of uh, something, you know, as they come in, so that it's not just it's not just hitting the roster. But I well, they're not like the same thing. WWE and NXT are just not the same thing. Some things translate, some things don't. So, you know, I'm sure that's a conversation they always have. Is this going to work at the next level? Well, Tyler Breeze worked here. He's not working here. This guy worked here. He's not working here. But why? Why does? Why do Enzo and Cass? get the reaction that they do as soon as the opening moments of their music hit, you know? So it's it's give and take, unfortunately. It's 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 a risky bet each time, but I think Finn Balor has enough of a fan base, built-in fan base already, that they're probably going to play it pretty smart with him and, and give him something good to do. Hopefully. Yeah, and, and again, you know, before we got on the Bullet Club thing, I just think that the conversation about the pecking order is always really interesting, and we know that Roman Reigns top guy. But again, when when John Cena comes back, when Seth Rollins comes back, if if Kevin Owens' star continues to rise, if if Finn Balor has an immediate response, if AJ Styles continues to to grow as a fan favorite. What do the power rankings look like? And, and I know that that's a conversation to be had on another podcast, but how long can Roman Reigns' run continue if they have so many guys on the roster who have the potential to be these top guys? Will they be stubborn with Roman Reigns? Or will Roman Reigns have already earned that status at, at that point? I mean, I, I'm anxious to see how it goes. But, again, going back to what we initially started talking about here, I think they've turned a corner and I think once you get guys like Rollins and Cena and, and these other guys back to work with him and continue to make him look good, and, and as he continues to make himself look good, he's putting in a lot of good work, I think we're on the right track. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. All right, Dan, well, thanks for talking this out with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Rammer Slammer is produced and edited by Ben Flanagan for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. Find us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. Thanks for listening. Hi there, I'm Dave Willis, the crying wrestling fan from Tosh Photo and YouTube, and you're listening to Rammer Slammer right here on AL.com. Let me tell you, Rammer Slammer, it'll still be damn it.